as I said earlier, it's really good to have Andy Peace here with us. Uh, Andy's based up in Yorkshire at Yorkshire Camps, and um, many of you will know about the work of Yorkshire Camps. And really good to have you here with us. And I'm going to hand over to you to come and speak to us about evangelism amongst children. Great. Thank you very much, David. Yorkshire Camps is a, is a Christian ministry that runs residential holidays for 8- to 18-year-olds, normally all year round, if there's no lockdown. Um, but we, we, we really take the summer camp model and think, how can we do this all the time? How can we use camps to engage with young people, share Jesus with them, as well as giving them a, a really fun time away from home? And we're always looking for people to join us, to work with us, to help us, to pray with us as part of the work as well. And perhaps you'll check out the website sometime or our Facebook page and you might see you involved in Yorkshire Camps in some way in the future. And I want to tell you a bit about my story and then how I came to be involved in children's and youth ministry and why it's such a burden to me. I trust, certainly by the end of tonight's meeting, uh, reaching children with the good news of Jesus might be a burden to you as well. Thank you all. Okay, let me take you back to 1985 and the winter then. A family moved house in in South Leeds. The parents were not Christians. The three children were not Christians. The parents' lives mainly revolved around rugby and sport and the local working men's clubs where they got their weekend entertainment. But their oldest boy, a 10-year-old, began to attend a, a good news club at the new church uh, he come across in the local area. Some friends went there. They took him along. The games were great. The prizes were good. And it wasn't too bad. It was something to do on a, on a Tuesday evening to get him off the streets. Now, the club was a very traditional midweek Bible club. Games, Bible teaching, a quiz, a memory verse, some songs, etc. And wonderfully, it didn't take long, weeks, a few months only, for the boy to begin to realize there was something special about these people running this club. He started to attend the, the Sunday school of the church as well, because he longed for more of what these people had and the teaching that they were sharing with him. And it only took a, a little time for that boy to realize Jesus was the person who made a difference to the leaders of the Sunday school and the leaders of the midweek club. And for that 10-year-old boy, he realized he needed to repent of his sins, put his trust in the Lord Jesus, and accept Jesus as Savior. And Savior became a word he, he understood. So much so that when he got a, a marker pen once, he wrote on the church wall, Jesus is Savior, thinking he was doing his bit to tell people the good news that he'd found for himself. Now that boy is me. He's 10 years old. Becoming a Christian from a non-Christian background, my parents still aren't Christians, my, my siblings are not Christians, don't go along to church, but Jesus did a wonderful thing for me in saving me, age 10. And so you can see why I would have a bias towards children's ministry, why I'd have a bias especially towards reaching children from non-Christian homes, telling them the good news of the gospel. So I'm very grateful for the work of City Evangelical Church in South Leeds and the children's evangelists, workers who are based there, who told me, who told my friends the good news of the Lord Jesus. So we'll come back to my story a bit later and you'll see how those those many years ago they really shaped who I am. So in my bias for reaching children with the gospel, um, I do believe it's a great mission field to go for. I believe it because it's personal to me. It's where it worked for me. And I've seen Jesus change many children's lives. And I do believe the church 
would do well to prioritize reaching the youngest of children with the good news of the Lord Jesus. So in some research that was done by a Christian organization called Barna, who gather statistics and do surveys and questionnaires and try and put statistics out to help church growth, etc., they found that amongst young children, there's much greater likelihood of them coming to know the Lord Jesus. So between the ages of 5 to 12, the the likelihood is that 32% of them will become Christians. And that goes down to 4% amongst 13 to 18s and is, is low as well throughout adult life. They found as they spoke with church members, as they spoke with Christians, the vast, vast majority first heard of Jesus, first put any simple trust and commitment to Jesus from a young, young age and stayed with Jesus right through their lives. And so I think children are a key, key mission field for our churches to work amongst if we want to see success, if we want to see a generation truly changed and come to know the Lord Jesus. Children are a great place to start. So let me ask you a question to start with for yourself to answer, but thinking of the church you attend as well. What priority do you or do your church give to reaching children with the gospel of Jesus? Is it a high priority? Is it somewhere amidst the other priorities we have? Is there a low priority? I think churches can be great at providing entertainment for children, at being a place where they're, they're, they're welcome amongst us, but where we look after them whilst the, the main work takes place with adults, where we, we keep them quiet, keep them often separate, and keep them just out of the way, as it were. But we can be good at teaching them Bible stories. We can be great at teaching them creeds. And we can be great at going through the Bible in a Bible overview with them and, and going through lots and lots of stories and Bible history. Being part of a church can be a great place to teach morals to children and help them form good friendships. It can be a place where we can share God's love. So nothing's wrong with all these things. It's good to teach children. It's good to help parents raise them in the love and fear of the Lord. But when asking the question, what is our priority amongst children? Really we've got to ask ourselves, is the number one aim of our work amongst the children to reach them with the good news of the Lord Jesus? Is our number one priority to help them come to Christ? Not just to entertain, not just to help raise them, not just to instill morals, etc., but to help them come to Christ. To see them genuinely converted and in a loving, living relationship with the Lord Jesus. In short, do we really see children as sinners in need of a saviour? The children in our church, the children in our streets, the children in our families. Sinners lost in need of a saviour who would find them. Now, church children, those who have got Christian parents, they still need to be reached with the gospel. I fear many times, many times we, we presume they'll be okay. And their, their parents will tell them the gospel, their parents will teach them well. Sadly, they don't. Sadly, they don't model good Christian living for their children. And we see that as children from good Christian homes are hemorrhaged and lost to church, lost to the Christian faith. So we must still intentionally share Jesus with them from a young, young age. But what are children outside of Christian families? Children like I was at 10 years old. Who's going to tell them of Jesus and his love for them? So back in the 1990s, 
a statistic that came to prominence was that 85% of young people had no church contact, none whatsoever. 15% of children were involved in church. Now, that was church of any flavor and denomination. That was Cubs, Scouts, uniformed organizations, anything attached to a church. 15% were being reached in some way, leaving the vast, vast majority outside of church walls, outside of contact with Christians. Who's reaching them? And I fear since the 90s, that figures is far worse. There's far more children now outside of church walls, far more children with no biblical background. They know nothing of Bible stories. They know nothing of the Lord Jesus. There's no heritage they can as well, hold on to. Who's going to reach them with the good news of Jesus? A more recent survey that was done was amongst Anglican churches, where they found that 48% of C of E Anglican churches have fewer than five under 16-year-olds, on an average of all of them, that is. Really saying, we're not really reaching children. We have very little contact with youngsters within our denomination. And I think other denominations will find similar, similar figures. There's a lot of children with no contact with a Christian. So who's going to reach them? Who's going to tell them about Jesus? So do children have a place in your heart? Do they have a place in your evangelistic priorities? Let me just share with you quickly a, a brief biblical basis of why I think children's ministry is important and why evangelism, especially amongst children, should be something as a priority in our lives, in our churches as well. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18 with me. I won't read it. Um, because of time, I'm going to go through some of those verses and then encourage you to read and perhaps study some more later on. Matthew 18. Some fairly familiar passages where Jesus tells us a number of things about children specifically. He's not speaking of the disciples. He's not speaking of the crowd listening on. There's clearly children around him. And he's using the children as a visual aid in many ways, but he's speaking of them. And he's wanting the disciples, he's wanting the listeners on, he's wanting us to see his heart, his passion, his priority for children and for reaching them too with the good news of Jesus. So verse 10, verse 10 intimates at how precious children are in Jesus' eyes. See, children shouldn't be looked down upon, they're precious in God's sight. We see that God has given angels to watch over them, these angels who have access to God the Father, because they're precious. They're loved by him. And soberingly, verse 11 reminds us that children are lost. Using this story of the sheep that's gone astray, Jesus shows that children too are like this lost sheep. Children too are those whom he came to Seek and save. All of them. Not just the clean children, not just the smart ones, the clever ones. All children are lost. All children have souls that are bound for a lost eternity. All children need Christ. And so verse 12 goes on, taking this further, reminding us that they've gone astray. Children too go astray. Children are astray from their heavenly father. This is not a sheep. In the parable, being cheeky, 
not a sheep being a little bit naughty in stepping away from his shepherd, a sheep going astray, wandering off, needing to be rescued, found and brought back. And so most often, of course, in the Bible, when the word astray is used, it's used in the sense of an adulterous relationship. This is real sin. The sheep has gone astray. Children, too, go astray. Sinners in need of a saviour. And verse 14, have a look at that. As it reminds us that without Jesus, these little ones who've gone astray, who've sinned, are perishing. Children are headed for a lost eternity. And so if we want to be aligned with God's will for these children, then we'll share his desire that none of these little ones should perish. Is that our desire? Is that our will? Is that something we pray through regularly? And look back at verse 6, where Jesus shows us that children can believe. Jesus shows us children, they can believe. They are able to recognize him as the Messiah. They're able to be partakers of his kingdom. Well, great assurance for us, a great promise to us, that children too can accept the gospel. Then finally in verse 6 as well, and I think this is really sobering and something we must consider for ourselves. Verse 6 shows us the great enemy of children's evangelism. The great enemy of children's evangelism is adults, people like me, people like you. Those who do Satan's work by causing children to stumble, perhaps by allowing sin to go unchecked, putting it aside as cheekiness, naughtiness, rebellion, and not calling sin, sin, and helping the child to see that. Well, can I say as far as, going as far as ignoring children and their need of the gospel, not prioritizing ministry amongst them, thinking they are simply people to be entertained, kept quiet while real ministry takes place. Perhaps we're causing them to stumble if we ignore them. If we assume they'll be all right because they're part of a good living home or they're going on to our church by making assumptions, are we actually causing them to stumble? It stops us being um, speaking to them about the Lord Jesus and spiritual things. Children are a mission field. Children are lost. Children need to know the Lord Jesus. And Matthew 18 verse 6 spells out the danger of children's evangelism and it can be us. And so I, I encourage you, if you don't think there's a biblical basis for children's evangelism, if you don't think it's uh, a work that should take priority in the church, read Matthew 18 verse 6 again and again until you start to feel that millstone around your neck. I don't want to feel that. I want the Lord to use me in reaching children. And I trust you do too. So do we have a look for children that Jesus had, a similar kind of passion to him? See, many of us might look back to our teenage lives, our, our childhood years, and see how we, we messed up, we got things wrong, there are things we, we, we regret. Or we might know of people who, as adults now, they've got similar regrets from younger years. So wouldn't we covet these little ones we know, that they might be saved from a life of sin? They might be saved from those same mistakes, regrets they might have because they know Jesus and they're living a life for him. It's a great reason to be involved in children's evangelism, seeing a life come to know Jesus, their life lived for him in service of him, free from the misery of sin. And so Bernardo's, they, sorry, there's the things I should have put them on, shouldn't I? Bernardo's, the children's charity that you're probably very aware of, 
in their early days, they had their strapline or their, their, their motto, their slogan, no destitute child ever refused admission. It was brilliant. It kind of said what they did on the tin. And that's the same logo for our churches, certainly for our children's ministries, that we're not simply about fun and entertainment. We're about bringing them into the church, telling them about Jesus. There's a welcome for all. All are welcome. Do we see this is true of our churches and the ministries we're involved in, that no child without Jesus is ever refused admission? So I'm always saddened when a child is dismissed in church, when they're dismissed all too easily. I've heard it so many times and it, it breaks my heart to hear, I guess, well-meaning people say to children, there's no more biscuits for you. You've had too many biscuits. You can't have another drink. Or you shouldn't sit there. Or be quiet. Or, or don't do that. Don't go there. And belittle them. Put them down. Show them there's no real place for them. No welcome for them there. They're somehow in our way. We're not really admitting them into our presence and into our family, as it were. Do we see that children have a place at God's table? Or would we give them the impression that if they come, they've simply got to abide by the rules. Otherwise, they're not really welcome. Well, there's a biblical basis for children's evangelism. I believe it's Jesus gives that to us. Jesus shared his heart for children's ministry. But men of God in the past, they've done the same. And I think they've seen success in their ministry because they didn't segment different people in society and sort of think children were were to be unreached by them. They prioritized evangelism to all. And so C.H. Spurgeon, he once said, my conviction is that converts from among the children are among the very best we have. I should judge them to have been more numerously genuine than any other class more constant and in the long run more solid because they can be taught and discipled and shaped and led from a young age and saved from a life of sin or D.L. Moody at the end of an evangelistic meeting he was once asked by somebody so how many conversions did you have tonight Mr. Moody to which he replied two and a half two children and an older man as he got this idea that saving a child seeing a child saved from sin is seen for life, say from sin. Or R.A. Torrey, he said, no other form of Christian work brings such immediate, such large and such lasting results as work that is done for the conversion of children. I believe he saw this in his ministry. Then you'll know this guy, uh, the duty of every adult believer is not to indoctrinate, but to teach the things of God and to bring children to Christ. In one of their booklets, they realised Again, it's not just to teach morals, not just to teach Bible stories, it's to bring them to Christ, who we are. R.D. Carswell, in one of his little booklets, said that. Who'd disagree with him? So be involved in children's ministry. Be involved in evangelism amongst children, because the Bible says so, Jesus says so. Godly men of the past have proven and shown it's the right way and the right attitude to have. But do it because you can be a vital link in the chain that brings a child to Christ. Whatever part you play, you can play a vital role in helping them know Jesus. And the wonderful thing is you might be the first link. You might be the first person to ever pray for that child. We have thought about that. How many children in our land are never prayed for? There's nobody bringing them before the Lord's throne 
by name. But you could do that. The child down your street, you could pray for them when nobody else is. You might be the first person to give them a Christian book or even a Bible or part of the Bible and with a smile encourage them to read it. You might be a, a, a link in the middle of the chain somewhere, somebody who is available to encourage them to keep on looking for Jesus, to keep on attending the club, to keep on reading their Bibles, to keep on asking their questions. It might be a vital link in the middle of that chain, but you might just be the final link too. You might have the personal joy of helping that young person trust in Jesus. You might be the person who can say a, a prayer of commitment with them and help them to come to know Jesus for themselves. But the point is, be a link. Do something. Be involved in some way in a children's life, a child's life for eternity's sake. So will you do that? So let me give you some tips on how you might do it or how you might be um, effective in your church's outreach to children, especially. There's 10 tips, and I've got loads of lists of 10 tips. So this is a natural one to add to my kind of my, my growing list of things. And the first one is really simple. If you want to share the gospel with children, then run evangelistic meetings. So plan to share the gospel with them. Run your normal clubs, run your Sunday school, but make sure that from time to time, if not every week, there is in some way a call to repentance and faith. There is a challenge given to the children to put their trust in Jesus, an invitation, and that you're available to help them come to faith if that's what they wish to do. Be evangelistic. Don't allow the clubs to be about entertainments or simply teaching Bible stories or moral truths. Seek to really share Jesus with them. And secondly, watch your language with the children. So be careful not to use Christian jargon or too much of it. So don't use long words and phrases. Use very simple words. Work hard at that when you're doing with children. Remember that one of the, the greatest verses in the Bible is monosyllabic. It's that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's really simple, and yet it explains the gospel. So in your presentation too, watch your language. Think about what a child is hearing when they hear certain things from you. And encourage other team members, other people around you, other adults, to listen out and to give you feedback. If they think you're being too jargonistic or using terms that are too, too difficult to understand, then help each other. Then how do we explain this? How do we um, uh, say this kind of doctrinal thing in a simple, simple way? Work out of that as a team. And your ally in doing this is then repetition. Use lots and lots of repetition because children are used to it. They're used to it from a very young age, watching the same things over and over again, singing the same songs again and again, reading the same books time and time again. They've got their favorites. They love repetition. See, they like the familiarity that comes from it. And I think their brains are wired to soak things up as they hear and experience them again and again. So with Bible verses, teach them Bible verses and encourage them to repeat them again and again and again. And be the kind of adult that carries a pocket full of sweets around with you. Why not just challenge them, can you tell me a Bible verse? Then give them a chew. Or say to them, can you tell me what that means? And give them another chew. And just smile and praise them and encourage them to keep on learning Bible verses and songs Short gospel songs are brilliant, and it's sad that we don't sing very many of them anymore. 
as a 10-year-old boy, what really, really helped me from a non-Christian home was the simple gospel songs that you'll know. Wide, wide as the ocean. He made the stars to shine. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Jesus died for you and me. They're the first things I learned that really helped me understand the gospel. They're the things I took away from the midweek club and sang to myself again and again. I couldn't shake the words out of my head. And so you can do, do well to use repetition, to sing songs over and over again, to learn Bible verses, and so plant God's word and plant gospel truths into children's hearts. And then encourage questions. Children love to ask questions of adults. They love to have the time to speak with an adult, knowing they're listened to, and that they'll try and help them understand things. They'll explain things to them, even silly questions sometimes. But for somebody to listen and hear that can be really helpful. So do that. Encourage them to bring their questions to you. Don't belittle them. Don't brush them away. Don't tell them it's a silly question. But give them answers. And give them gospel answers. Show them in the Bible that the Bible has got answers to lots of life's questions. One of the greatest thrills of this year for me so far before lockdown was going into our local primary school where the, the head teacher had invited me to come to her key stage two class. They'd been doing some work on Holy Communion as part of a topic and the children had lots of questions for the teacher that she couldn't answer. But knowing I was a Christian, she invited me in. And for a good 45 minutes or so, the children asked question after question after question they'd written down in their books. Questions about communion, the Lord's table, Passover, kind of where all these things began. Then questions about the cross, questions about Easter, questions about dinosaurs and creation, all kinds of things. And it's just a thrill to be a Christian and give them biblical answers and not just my best guess off the top of my head. And you can do that with children. Encourage them to ask questions and point them to Jesus through that. And when speaking to them, don't be afraid to talk about sin. It is real. So, so why brush it under the carpet? Why ignore it? Why turn a, give them the idea that we turn a blind eye to it? Remind them that you're a sinner. Tell them where appropriate about some of your sins, your struggles. And show them it's not wrong to acknowledge sin and to express remorse for sin. But don't teach sin as simply just, just naughtiness. I want to be naughty if I, if I get caught. Otherwise, I'm all right. Show them that sin is serious because it's against God. And work out how you can teach children the, the sins of omission as well as the sins of commission. I think that's a really helpful thing for children to know that. The things that they just think are not hurting anybody, they're still sins. So on a camp, I use the example of, of litter. I'm often a person who will walk past litter in the streets knowing I'm lazy. I don't want to be the person who picks it up. It's not my problem. But actually, I know that's my sin. That's laziness. That's my selfishness. That's my pride. That stops me doing what I know I should do. Help children see that's true for them as well. But they're sinners and they need to acknowledge their sin before the Lord. So teach them about open sin. That's visible to all. That, yeah our temper and, and lying, etc., swearing, but a secret sin as well that we will keep to ourselves, those evil thoughts we have, our selfishness that's very real to us, our bitterness, our pride. But teach them about the greatest sin, 
the sin of not living Jesus. I believe for children especially, this can be the realization that can really bring conviction to them as they hear the stories of Jesus, as they hear of how much he loves them and how much he's done for them in dying on the cross, to then realize I don't love him and I'm not thankful to him can really bring conviction to a child. So teach them of Jesus and all the wonderful things he's done and ask, why don't you love him? And then we carry on. Sixthly, some Pope, a great evangelist from a hundred or so years ago, he says that a child needs to experience conviction of sin, leading to a hatred of sin, and thus to a desire for deliverance from sin, which I think is very helpful. Talk naturally about Jesus with children. Now, it's hard enough for us as Christians to just talk naturally about Jesus with other adult Christians. I know that's at the end of a church service, how hard it is just to talk about spiritual things, how easy it is to start talking about weather or the jobs we got done that week or sports or news on the TV, etc. We find it really hard to talk naturally about spiritual things. Let me say, for to a child, it should be the easiest thing for us to do as adults because they expect us to do that. They expect their teachers to teach and they expect adults to talk about the things that are real and important to them. So I think children, in a, in a special way, almost give us great permission and opportunity to be natural about our faith, to talk about Jesus, because they're in church, and so they expect in church we should talk about Jesus. And so, of course, the grown-ups will talk to me about Jesus. And so it's a challenge to me to be just natural in how I talk about him with the children. And so speak to the children about their school. Speak about what they're learning, what they've been reading, what they've been doing and playing. Speak about their friends, about their family. But speak of Jesus as well. Speak of the work he's doing in your life and ask about the work he's doing in their life as well. But be natural about doing that. Don't be a grumpy, disinterested adult. Be somebody who's cheery and smiley and friendly towards them. And again, linked in with that, think to learn about their world. When you watch the news, when I watch the news, we watch it through an adult size and we process it through a grown-up, in our grown-up world. But think, what does this mean to a child? What are they thinking when they see this news story? What different fears might they have about what's going on at the moment? And so when a survey was done last year uh, with a 1,000 7 to 15-year-olds asking them what their biggest fears were, well, for the younger ones, it was to do with school and friendships and but they would form good friends or do well at school. But for young teenagers, it was climate change. I think that would have changed now. I think coronavirus and probably fear of death might be a, a big fear. But climate change is a really big issue to young people. And we cynically can brush that off. We can brush off their concerns and fears as irrational, or we can just imagine what it must feel like to them, thinking they're facing a future that's uncertain. But we can speak to them about that. We can bring biblical truth to bear on that situation. Then eighthly, I believe children will be one by one, one by one. And so you might do an evangelistic talk, or you might uh, be part of one in your midweek club or part of the Sunday school, and there may well be conviction of sin and a child who wants to just to, to speak to you or speak to an adult. And I believe that the greatest thing to do is to sit down with them 
and to counsel them and to lead them to Christ. One by one, one by one. Now, as part of this, we, we get worried about safeguarding. I can't possibly do that. I can't be seen to be alone with a child. Now, of course, safeguarding is important, and you should know your church's policy on that or your group's policy. You should adhere to it in every single way. But I'm very, very, very sure it will not stop you sitting down in a public space, one-on-one with a child, to speak to them. We still need to be careful that we're being winsome and wise in how we speak to that child. We want to be sensitive in how we ask them questions and how we check their understanding of the gospel message. We must let the Lord lead. Let the Lord do the work in their heart. Let the Lord lead our questioning and our leading them to Christ. And not be afraid to win them one by one in, in, in doing so. Don't let safeguarding put you off. Don't, certainly don't let it be something to hide behind. That's not what it's meant for at all. Then ninthly, please be involved for the long haul. Please don't see children's ministry as a short-term thing, something to do every now and then, everything just, just to be a, an extra pair of hands where needed. It must be a long-term commitment. Otherwise, we'll just want quick responses to justify perhaps a, a pop-up event we've done or a particular quick uh, mission we might have done with the children. So don't just get involved in a, a holiday Bible club once a year or a beach mission for one week a year. Be involved as regularly as you can in a child's life. So you might cultivate relationships as we'll see next and have many, many opportunities to share Jesus with them. By being there for the long haul, you're being there for them right through their growing up years. And I think it's important then that we don't just think, I've done the children's ministry, now they've become teenagers or they've gone to secondary school, they've moved on from my ministry. We should really still be involved in their lives. Keep on praying for them. Keep on being available to answer questions. Keep on encouraging them in any way you can. Write them notes and do anything you can to get good literature into their hands. Right through teenage years. And then even once they leave the church, when they're at university, when they've started work, stay with them. Keep being an encouragement to that. Now young adults, until they truly are mature in the faith. Stay with them for the long, long haul. And tell them you pray for them. Seek to be an encouragement in that kind of way. It's a wonderful thing to know you're prayed for. So finally, and I've hinted at it, relationship is key. It's really important that we aren't just an adult figure for this child, an authority figure that they've come to know and respect, or a teacher towards them. We're a friend of theirs. We're somebody who wants to share our life with them and with their family. So seek to show that you care for them. When you ask them questions, don't just ask for the sake of asking a question. Genuinely speak to them as a friend would. Give them sweets. Send them a birthday card. Give them presents and gifts. Seek to be an encouragement to them. But I'd say better than all of this is to then establish a relationship with their whole family. Get to know their mum and dad. Get to know their other siblings. Be involved in family life as much as possible and seek to reach a family for the Lord. So if you can, why not go and knock on the door and say hello to mum and dad. Introduce yourself as somebody who helps the local church. Say how thrilled you are the little Jimmy's come along to the club and just say he's always welcome and so are they. And tell them about some of the events at church and then take them along. Sit with them. Be there for them. Put them at ease. Or have a barbecue. 
and invite them around. There's all kinds of things, but reach the family. Don't just be content with knowing Jimmy's name and what school he goes to and how long he's come to your particular group. Talk with them as much as you can. So here we are. We're wrapping up. This is pretty much where I started. My testimony, a number of years ago when I was 10 years old, somebody from a non-Christian background, somebody who had no Bible knowledge, none at all, had not gone to any church prior to City Evangelical, age 10. Nobody was praying for me, as far as I know, and there was no encouragement, certainly from parents or family to attend church or seek after spiritual things. And yet the Lord Jesus found me. And so I didn't have a firm grasp of doctrine. I couldn't have explained all the ABCs to me as a 10-year-old, but I knew that I'd done wrong, and I knew that Jesus came to put it right. And I knew that I needed to put my trust in him. But the big thing I really wanted was to be like the people in the church, the adults who showed love and care to me, the ones who welcomed me back, even after my friends and I got kicked out of the club occasionally, they welcomed us back. And they kept on telling us the Bible stories. And they kept on holding open arms out to us to come to their clubs. The ones who gave me sweets, the ones who encouraged me, the ones who asked me about my family and made me think, they really care. They're genuinely interested. I saw these Christians in the church had a special love for me and for my friends, a special love for each other in the work they were doing as part of the church. And it all became clear it's because of their love for Jesus. They truly loved him and wanted me to know his love for me. So my testimony is not about theology or understanding doctrine. It's simply understanding the love of kind Christians who showed friendliness and an acceptance towards me. And so I wanted what they had. I wanted more of it. I wanted to be a part of their church family, as it were. And that's really what drew me to Jesus all those years ago. Now, you can have that kind of impact in a child's life. You can model Jesus to them. You can share Jesus with them. And I trust you will do. You can help them to know Jesus as their best friend, as you know him as yours. And so one thing I'd love for you to do, I've put on my um, screen, that's, that's gone. I did put my mobile phone number, but it's gone. But if you get in touch with us, there are, there's a number of free books which you could have. I, I've got some I can, I can send to you. The Child Evangelism Fellowship have done a, a, a brilliant series of books for free for those involved with children's ministry. Now, one of them is You Can Evangelize Children. And I must say, they are really, really helpful. They're helpful if you're involved in any form of children's work and giving illustrations and ideas in, in what to do and how to explain things and stories to tell, etc. They're helpful in just giving biblical ideas and principles in why we should be involved in child's evangelism and kind of psychological things as well, understanding a child's mind and thought processes. There's a whole series. So if you go to CEF online, then you can ask for them and they'll send you a load. But I've got a pile here, and I'll happily send you one with a note if you get in touch. And uh, hopefully, by reading this, you'll be encouraged to evangelize children and to seek to share the biblical truths with them. Thank you. Do I end the screen share? Yes, that's great. Well, thanks very much, Andy. Uh, I wasn't sure if you'd realise you put your phone number up, so I took it off. But if you do okay. want to get in touch, do reply. If you want to get in touch with Andy, reply to the email you've got at zoom 
uh, at aov.org.uk and we'll get that to Andy and uh, he can get the details out to you. So please do make contact via that way. We do have a number of questions uh, that have come in. Let me just quickly put the number up again for you. There it is. There's the number 07946 or on slido.com. Um, uh, with 5682 and send your questions in. We've got a number of questions already. Whether we'll get through them all, we're not sure. But we're going to hand over to Phyllis and she's going to put the questions to Andy. Hi, Phyllis. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Some very good thoughts there. Um, my first question is, how can you explain to a child about a loving father if they have no concept of even a good father? Yeah, I've heard this a number of times now. If I'm honest, I know my parents are listening. My parents divorced when I was 16, so after I became a Christian. But um, I was saying part of my testimony is seeing the love that the, the people in the church had for the children. And it was so stark to me because there was no love from my family. As a family, we, 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 there's no emotion shared. There was no hugs growing up. There was certainly no holding hands or I love you to me as a child uh, from mum or dad. And, and so I had no real relationship with my parents, if I'm honest, but I could see that these people had a relationship with Jesus and that really drew me to him. So, so, so I don't think that's a real, as big an issue as we think it is. Um, I think it'll be hurting that and pastoral help and counsel may well be needed. But just assurance that God is not like that. Jesus is not like that. Jesus will not reject us. Jesus uh, will not distance himself from us in the way that yeah, humans will do, and not just our parents, but other humans will let us down. Uh, so I, I, I have no relation. So my dad walked out when I was 16, and I've not really seen him since. There's no relationship now with my earthly father, which is really why finding a church family was such a wonderful thing for me. Thanks, Andy. How do we avoid pushing children to receive Christ when they're not ready? Yeah, this is really difficult, and and. It's awful when I, when I um, read stories or I've seen things where I think children are manipulated. And, of course, they're, they're so vulnerable and open to that. And in many ways, it can make us feel great to say we've seen a sea of hands go up to make a decision, etc. Um, I think we have got to be really, really careful. And so I think we must do it in a winsome way. We must be very, very sensitive. And that's really why I think one-on-one is the best. So not that kind of peer pressure in a group who wants to become a Christian where they're going to think, oh, my friends are, so let's all put our hands up. Uh, one by one, we, we speak with them. We, we check their understanding of the gospel. And we really allow the Lord to lead. We're sensitive to the Lord's leading for us, but the Lord's leading in their, in their heart as well, their work in their heart. And are very clear, it, it, it's their decision. It's got to be their decision to, to yeah, make that, that step of faith, as it were. Then again, we mustn't be too heavy on them with discipleship and follow-up because they'll make mistakes. They'll, they'll get things wrong and there'll be times when they'll question their salvation. But that first step can be crucial then in teenage years and older years in knowing that the journey began with Jesus. Thank you. You gave us some, t- t- some statistics earlier yeah. on. But one of the questions is, do you find working with teenagers harder? Now, you indicated that the the percentage was quite low on teenagers responding. So is it harder for teenage, with working with teenagers? Personally, I find it harder. Yeah, I, I find it much, much harder. Um, I think with teenagers, relationship is absolutely key. You've really got to invest in a small number of teenagers. And I, I, 
I really believe you've got to have them for meals in your house. You've got to spend time with them as part of your family if you can, or be involved with their family in some way. So it's not just a club, an hour or so a week. There's a, a definite investment in their life uh, if you really want to reach teenagers. And again, then walking with them, sharing things with them they can read, they can watch, they can talk about, and encouraging them to just keep on making those tiny steps of faith. I think it's really difficult and there'll be a lot of heartache along the way. Yeah. And um, relevant for now, how might we share Jesus with children during lockdown? Yeah, good question. And a challenge to me, really. So as Yorkshire Camps, we've, we've tried to do, do a few things. We've done some social media videos. Uh, we've sent out some special mailings to campers who've been to us. Um, but I'm very mindful um, that there's a lot of churches not doing very much with their children. That They're doing their Sunday services and perhaps as a handout for the child to have a look through. But all their normal clubs and friendship groups have just gone, just stopped. Uh, and I think it's a real challenge for us to think, what can we do? Now, individually, what can we do? Um, I've got a few things that I would suggest. So we can pray for children. We've got more time to do that. We can think through who might be the unprayed child near me and intentionally spend time praying for them, praying for their schoolwork, praying for them without their friends and wider family members, just and praying for the Lord to look after them in this time, particularly those who are involved in, in non-Christian homes. Uh, they're not coming to our clubs or meetings. Really pray for them through this time. But if, if you're involved in a church that perhaps Zooms with other church members and maybe interact with them in some way, Who's speaking to the children as part of that? Why don't you ask the children in the room, how are you getting along? But do more than go deeper than just how's school been this week or what have you been learning? Seek to really engage with them and talk to them and ask them some deeper, meaningful questions. So use, use Zoom if you can, or if you zoom into a family group, try and get the whole family gathered around and involve children in the discussion. If you do know the parents, if you have got friendship with them and you can get their permission and send their child a letter they'll love getting something through the post and um, send them a book they could read or, or, or say you'll, you'll read it to them if they'll zoom in or skype in or facetime you you'll read a bedtime story with them or you'll read them a story at some time in the day you can certainly do that send them some sweets or a care package of some heart some kind to really show kindness to them um ten of those of all kinds of coloring books and things with Bible verses that are great for children, send them something and encourage them to colour and learn some with a promise of reward of some kind if they do that. And then find out from somebody, is there some good online inputs that you can encourage them to watch? Um, I know a number of camp centres have done camps, as it were, online, so they could follow for half an hour or so, a kind of short programme, and a number of churches doing a similar thing. Encourage them to check them out. So they're watching some Christian content. And ask them, how do they get on? Have they got any questions? Can you uh, be part of it? Or the final thing, which um, our boys and their cousins have kind of done with each other, but you can do it with a spiritual twist, is challenge them to make something. Perhaps with their Lego or with a craft, can they make something and send you a picture or, or, or share it with you somehow? And again, reward them, encourage them through that. Maybe make something to do with a Bible story. And yeah, just seeking to be involved in their life so they're, they're not forgotten at this time. <coughs> Roger was waving. 
Um, you, you talk about safeguarding. Now, in the light of safeguarding, how do you build meaningful relationships away from church-based events? Yeah, it's true. So you've got to be very careful with safeguarding. You've got to, you must know the policy and everything must be, as it were, above board. Nothing done in secret, nothing done behind closed doors. Um, speak with the safeguarding officer, speak with the leadership of the, the kids groups. If there are things taking place outside of kind of the group, as it were, and of course it should be with the consent of the family and ideally with the family, which is why I think with a relationship, if you can get to know the parents, it's a great thing. So as a 10-year-old boy, um, I remember the pastor of the church knocking on our door and always hearing my mum then say, if you don't tidy your bedroom, we'll go and speak to the church and thinking she means it because they'll come round or they, they know my mum now. And kind of think that there was this, this connection in some way. And so I think we can get to know the families. We can invite them to events. We can have barbecues with them. We can invite them to social events in our home. We, we, we may well then get invited to family events of theirs and, and be able to go along. Uh, and in doing so, we're simply modeling Jesus. We're simply living a Christian life and being able to just share snippets of our testimony of things that are happening in church and sharing that we're normal, we're natural in how we speak of Jesus. We're not weirdos or freaks. We, we just genuinely want to share our lives with them. And it might well be that there's single parents who are involved with the children in your clubs. If, children, if son daughter is away with mum or dad, other parents for a weekend, they might not say to mum, come to church with me. Little Johnny's away, but then why not come to church and come for a meal with me and let me cook for you and look after you this weekend. Just seek to get involved in families' lives in any way you can. But it takes investment, it takes time, and we've got to be intentional about that if we really want to reach them with the Lord Jesus. Thanks, Sandy. Um, what's some good ways to teach the gospel to children whose English is poor? Yeah, keeping it very simple, um, visual aids are certainly very good, picture stories that can help them know Jesus. We can give them good books with very simple words and pictures as well. Um, and it, it's, 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 it's keeping it to the simple. All of us understand sin. All of us understand love. And so all of us understand spiritual things as well, the need for spiritual input into our lives. And I think by keeping to the simple, simple things, we can share the, as it were, the, the ABC of the gospel with children from a, yeah, a home where there's very little English. And I think likewise with children from different faiths as well, um, just sharing our passion with them for Jesus is a really important thing, just to break down the stereotypes that they're otherwise seeing of what a Christian is like or what they perceive a Christian to be like. I remember a child in a, in a lunch club I ran who was from a Muslim background and how excitedly she told other children in the Bible club how she looked forward to going to mosque because they dressed up as a family. It was a special day. There was special food to look forward to. And you could really sense this. I'd like to be part of that too. It does sound really exciting. And it made me think as Christians, church is not the same. Sometimes it doesn't seem so exciting. We don't dress up and do special things. And perhaps with some of our children, it would be good to do that. And so in children of the faith, we can show them we're not boring. Life is good. 
when we, when we know Jesus and we can have fun away from church, but also in church. OK, something maybe we can look forward to. What are the ingredients of a good weekly children's club when we're able to meet? Yeah, um, I certainly think it should involve Bible teaching and, and not just telling a story, but really working hard on explaining that story to the children. Um, I think the so what question is not just the teenagers, it's for children as well. They mustn't leave your club thinking, so what? What's the big difference? What does that story mean to me? We must explain to them why Jesus is important and why these Bible stories and the truths contained in them can change our lives. So work out on the so what factor of everything you do, the songs you sing, the verses you learn, the stories you tell, etc. Why are we doing them? Um, and I think then repetition is, is a really important ally. Do sing a, a small selection of songs again and again so they get good Bible truths into their heads and teach Bible verses. I do think that's a forgotten art. Teach Bible verses to children. Short ones and long ones challenge them to really learn long verses. And again, explain the verse, explain what they mean so it's not just a jumble of words in their head. So, th- so I think a, a very traditional Bible club as has been done for years and years, still works today. Bible story, songs, quiz, uh, reinforces the teaching, um, some games that can kind of build the atmosphere and, and, and encourage the children to interact with each other. These things go a long way. But really, time with the children, seeking to not just see them as an audience or participants or those to be entertained, but try and at some point in the club have time one-on-one or in a small group of children so, so in some of the clubs I've been involved in, we, we've done a thing called Your Time, which really is um, it needs a, a number of helpers. Um, it's, it's doing the whole program, and then for five to ten minutes at the end of the program, splitting up into s- small year groups. So you've got the six year six children all together, five or six of them, and for a few minutes you're allowing them to ask questions. For a few minutes you're really sharing your life with them, and it's the start of that relationship process then that can really go deeper and go further. So I'd say a key part of a club should be some time one-on-one or small group with the children. Really important. Thank you. Most of the other questions have been covered or we'll have some time afterwards, but yeah. is there a particular version of the Bible that you feel is good, maybe for younger children? Yeah, the, the, I think that the best version for children is the International Children's Bible. ICB. They, it's beautiful as well in, in how it's sold. My only problem is it's, it's quite a childish cover, and so children think it's for it's a young child's version, but actually I think it's an amazing teenage version because it, it's simple English um, and yet it's faithful to to the to the whole Bible. So the International Children's Bible, but but I use it in, in my teaching of children. I use the NIV really because. Uh, I'm hoping they will get hold of a Gideon's Testament at some point and that they'll recognise the language I use from the NIV is the same as in their Gideon's Testament and they know it's the same Bible as it were. So the NIV I find is is fine with children. Thanks Andy. Uh, Maybe there's time for some more questions afterwards but I think Roger has a few words to say. Sorry, if you don't mind Andy, if I can just come in a couple of points I think it's worth just mentioning. Um, 
for children, but especially those with limited English, yeah. you can still get hold of the wordless book. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry? Ten of those. Ten of those have it. And um, I think we've got a number. If you were to send to the A of E, we could probably pop you on in the post. Um, And it just goes through various colours. It starts with black. I wish it didn't because the Bible never says our sins are black. It says our sins are scarlet. They should be as white as snow. Though They'd be red like crimson. They should be as wool. But it starts with black and then it goes on to red, which speaks of the blood, and then white, which means speaks of the cleansing, and then green, which is spiritual growth, and then gold, which is the promise of heaven. I think it's very, very helpful for sharing with children and then giving to children afterwards. So it's useful, of course, for those who've got limited English, but it's, it's good for all children. Secondly, if I may, I, I do think as grandparents, if I can speak as a grandparent, um, I, I know I don't look old enough, but yeah, um, uh, the um, I think we can have some input into our grandchildren. Uh, so uh, most of my grandchildren live overseas, New Zealand, Portugal and the USA. And uh, I feel very concerned for them because certainly in New Zealand and uh, the, uh, and Portugal, they're not going to great churches simply because there aren't good churches there. So every Saturday night, I send a message to them, just just an audio message. Sometimes I start with some jokes, which I've got from a joke book. Other times I just chat about what's been going on. And then I have a, a Bible theme and I give them some work to do. Uh, It might be, I don't know, building something with Lego. It might be drawing a picture. It might be doing a story or memorizing a Bible verse. So I just do a short sort of Sunday school, eight, nine, 10, 11 minutes only by audio. And I think most weeks they do it. I don't think every week, but I think most weeks they do it. And very regularly they come back to, to us. So I think as grandparents, we can have a real input into our grandchildren. And especially because we've got Zoom or, you know, this sort of electronic device, let's use it to regularly input into them. And I think eventually when they're young teenagers, if as grandparents we can meet with our grandchildren, maybe individually, take them to whatever's their favorite food, Pizza Hut or whatever, and just without putting them too much on the spot, but nevertheless seeking to ask them where they are before the Lord. I, and, and perhaps lead them to Christ. I think we can be very, very valuable. Sometimes grandparents can do what parents can't do. Mm, very true. Thank you. Andy, let me just ask you one more question. Do you have a favourite Bible story that you like to tell to explain the gospel? Um, there's a number of them. I suppose my, my favourite one would be Nicodemus, and then using the illustration of the snake on a stick. I find that's... Um, you know, it's, it's very visual. I've got a big stick with a snake coiled around it. And the idea of look and live, I think, is really powerful. That there's a poison within us. We've been bitten by the, the snake. The sin has bitten us and we're poisoned. We are dying. If we look and live to the one who is lifted on high, we can know life. I think that's my favourite story to tell. That one and, and the leper. Really, just thinking of that, I enjoy telling the story of the leper as well, who was... Uh, ask Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. I love telling that one too. Maybe those two. Great. 